This is a podcast from Real Life Sango in Clarksville, Tennessee. Thank you for being a part of our online community. We would love for you to join us at 8.30 or 10 a.m. on Sunday morning at the City Forum. In the meantime, if you would like to share a prayer request, make a financial contribution, or take a step at Real Life, you can text MISSION to 97000. Now enjoy the podcast. Curious. Did anyone else have like a best friend growing up that like they were your best friend, but they were also like your rival in everything, right? Like kind of pushing you a little bit, you're pushing to them. I had that dynamic. Um, me and my best friend, like soccer, we were both like r- right here, like pushing each other. Uh, ping pong, we were both like right here, which says you're thinking it was Freddie T, that eliminates him like right there, even though he did beat me last time. So I got to be careful. All right, soccer, ping pong. And tennis was another one. Like, we would play tennis, and, like, it was, it would get borderline, like, edgy, you know, because we were so, so competitive. Time went on, and we, we got a little bit older, and, and I know this is a stereotype, but sometimes stereotypes are there because, like, there's truth to it. Like, ladies, if you want to hang out with a friend, like a, another lady, you can actually just call and say, like, hey, I, let's meet up to talk. Um, Back in the day, I think it's changing now, but back in the day, guys wouldn't do that. Like, we'd have a pretense, right? And so our pretense was we're going to go play tennis. And so one time, I think we were like a junior. I was junior in college, and we go over to Austin P. and my friend says, like, I'm, I'm ready to play tennis, which means, okay, I got it. Like, you want to talk? And it was always really clear when he was ready to talk because there would be a break in the action. And he would go up to the net, and I meant, that meant, like, okay, this is the time where we're going to talk. And I'll never forget one time... He comes up and he says, he got really serious. He's like, Tim, like, what am I doing with, like, my life? He goes, like, when I think about Jesus and I think about, like, what the love that he had and what he did for us on the cross, at this point I knew I was going into ministry. He goes, yeah, what you're doing, that, like, makes total sense to me. You're going into ministry. That, that makes sense. He goes, but, like, when I look at my life, like, I'm going into finance and I want to make money, like, how does that even work? And I remember at the time, I didn't really know what to say. I, I think I said something like, hey, like, you know, anything you do can give, you know, glory to God. It's, it's not about that. But I did not have at that point a good biblical view of work, a good theology of work. And so to be clear, we're not going to be able to get through an entire theology of work this morning. But I do hope to give us a little help on what the Bible, how the Bible looks at work and how it might be different than the way that we think about work. If you weren't here last week, last week we talked about in Ephesians, we're getting to this part um, in chapter five and chapter six called the household codes. And I know that sounds so exciting, right? Like you wanna wake up and talk, let's talk household codes. What we said though, is remember that Paul is not introducing a new concept. There were already household codes, um, a part of the society already. Paul puts the Christian cross-shaped version of that, that both affirmed parts of the the household codes that were around there and subverted others. And we talked about in chapter 5, verse 21, he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, how that is like the ethic for our households, right? Wives and husbands, children and parents. And now today we get to slaves or servants or bond servants to their masters. And the ethic is one of what does it mean to submit to each other. So with that in mind, let's read together, starting in verses five and going through verse nine. It says this, 
Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Last week, one of the things we talked about is we said, hey, when it comes to the word of God, like some of us have the word of God above us and let it dictate our lives. Some of us stand over it and we use the Bible almost like a Rorschach test, right? Like, well, what do you see? Right? And like our values and like our personality come up out of the Bible and look at that. It just kind of happens to match exactly what I thought, which is great. Right? That's not the Bible that we believe in. But I want to kind of say there's another thing that happens, and it's, it's a little bit more um, nefarious, and that is that for far too often, if you look at church history, men that have clung to power have used the word of God to justify some pretty horrible things. And I want to just address the elephant in the room. Like, you read a passage like this, and we need to, we need to talk about that. We're not going to be able to do a deep dive on this piece. I can point you to resources that will, but... The fact is, people have used this passage to justify slavery in our country. And you may say, well, Tim, that's like not really that recent. And I want to say, well, yes and no. Like, our country is still young. In fact, we are still a country that has a longer history with slavery than we do without it. Here's the other piece. Right now, the number of people that are leaving church in our country or are unchurched, it is very possible that someone will come to you and say, hey, that's great that you're a Christian and you read the Bible. I could never personally, like, do that because your Bible condones slavery. How would you answer them? Well, let me give you a couple things that you could say um, that maybe is just kind of the tip of the iceberg and you can go down that rabbit hole even more later. Two key things that I want us to understand. First off is this. The slavery of the Roman Empire was not the same as slavery in America. And you'll see a slide up here that kind of shows you some of the differences First off, notice it is not race-based in the New Testament. It was also, it's hard to understate that how, much, how big it was. This would have been a huge part of the population. So that's a big range right there. The minimum, the floor, is that one-third of everyone was a slave in the Roman Empire. Some scholars and historians have it as high as 80% of either being slaves or former slaves. This was sort of the engine of that day. Also, slaves could be powerful and wealthy. Slaves could gain their own freedom, which leads to the next one. Slaves, actually, many of them actually sold themselves into slavery. And you may be like, why in the world would anyone sell themselves into slavery? Again, different system. But if you are a husband and a father and you have a family and you're poor and you're not sure where your next meal is coming from, what you could do is you could find a person that you respected and enter into contract with him and they would provide food, shelter, and medical care for your entire family and possibly even teach you a trade. And so we actually have um, on record, we have people um, that were doctors and philosophers and professors, you name it, that were actually slaves as well because they could enter into this servanthood and it was a path to Roman citizenship. And so um, actually it was not uncommon for even former slaves to own 
other slaves. And then the last one is there is no record of anyone trying to abolish the system. That is until Christianity came to be. Now, a couple things. If, like, you might be like, okay, like, that's great. It's different. I want to be very clear. I still don't think that's a good system. I still don't think people should be owned ever. And so part of me is like, okay, and this is just me being very, very simple and very real. Part of me would have loved for Paul to have like just added a verse. Oh, by the way, I think the system of slavery is horrible. Let's get rid of it. Like I would just love like the simplicity of that. But the spirit empowered him in a different way, in a, I think a wiser way. And Paul, by the way, was a genius and a scholar. He does things like Ephesians 5.21, right? Submit one to another out of reverence for Christ, which totally undermines slavery. Uh, think about this. In another letter, he writes to Philemon, and he, Paul tells Philemon that your slave Onesimus, I'm sending him back to you, but I want you to receive him not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. See, Paul constantly is putting things in there that undermines the entire system. And you might say like, okay, yeah, but like, why didn't he just say it? Well, a couple things. One, had he just said it, he probably would have been killed instantly and his message would have been snuffed out and nothing would have happened. What Paul does instead is instead of trying to change the institution, he changes the people. And guess what? The people then go and change the institution. And do you know that's exactly what happened? We have on record in church history that from the time of Paul and from the time of Jesus and Paul, all the way to the time of Augustine, we see um, this growing body of literature of people, of Christians, preaching against the institution of slavery to the point that by the time you get to Constantine, it was almost eliminated altogether. That was the first time in history that anyone had ever even questioned the system. And we know as part of our country's history um, and part of the history of Europe is that we had great men of God like William Wilberforce that actually took a stand based on theology out of the Bible to undermine this institution of slavery. And so I want to say clearly this passage does not condone slavery. The Bible does not condone slavery. But what it does do is it gives us some principles. And let me explain why. This is a, there is a broad spectrum of servanthood. Anytime you see the Greek word doulos, it can mean anything from servant all the way to slave, and you'll see it translated as different ways. But for us, it can give us principles of what it looks like to live out our calling and our vocation. And so I just want to say, this is really for anybody in this room. If you're a student, this is definitely for you before you even get to your vocation. If you're working a nine-to-five job, this is for you. If you are retired, remember what we said last week? Uh, every time the word, uh, the phrase advanced in age is in the Bible, the most significant moment in their life was ahead of them, this is for you. It's for every person in this room. These principles apply to us. I'm going to give us three ideas from the text to keep it very simple. Number one is this. We are to submit to our bosses and those in authority. Look at verse 5 again. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Fear and trembling. <laughs> Some of you are like thinking about your boss and you're like, it's kind of accurate, right? Like, you know, like I'm terrified of them. That's not what this term means. This term can also be translated reverence. Folks, this is what this means. We are to respect the position 
in understanding that the position comes from a design that God himself put on us as a people. Um, in our culture, man, we are so entitled right now. Like we all, we all want to talk about our rights and like, man, I deserve this and I deserve that. And uh, one, of my, one of the lines you hear a lot, anybody ever hear the phrase, you're not the boss of me? Like, like it's one of my favorites, right? You're not the boss. I, I say it to my kids all the time. You're not the boss of me, right? Oh, we love that. That's, that's kind of the culture, right? It's this entitlement and like we look at it as if like, hey, if my boss is worthy of following, if, if, it's worthy, if they're worthy of following their orders, then I guess I will. But here's, here's the truth of it is a lot of us work for really difficult people, right? Like you, like, and this is not just like Christians and non-Christians, like jerks can be, they're Christian jerks, they're non-Christian jerks, there's like a whole spectrum. That's not the point. The point is, isn't, do I submit to them based on like their standing and how well they're doing? When you submit, you're actually submitting to God's design for him in that relationship. I heard one person say it like this, when, when you submit and when you obey to someone who is in authority over you, in a sense, you're saying to God, God, I, I trust you. I trust you. Now, you might say, well, Tim, is that always the case? Let me be really clear. There, when, when obedience to your boss um, actually kind of cuts out, like b- becomes disobedient to your boss's boss, which is God, that's where your obedience ends, right? In other words, if, if you're being told, I want you to cut a corner, I want you to not be ethical, I want you to do this thing, and it's not right, that's where that ends. And you can like say, you know what? I'm not gonna submit there because I know your boss and your boss is also my boss and that is God Almighty. And that's where our submission ends when disobedience begins. But overall, what we wanna say is that as we submit to God, we are pointing to, some, to a bigger boss, which is God himself. Do you trust the one who put them over you? In other words, you can obey your boss because you know their boss. Many employees find it hard to submit because they are not, um, maybe your boss is not a Christian or it's just very, very difficult to work in the conditions that you've been given. But remember who Paul's writing here. He's writing to servants, bond servants, slaves. The conditions weren't always great. And he says, I want you to submit as unto the Lord. That's the first one. Number two is this. Your work or vocation is sacred. Look again at verse five. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Paul's saying like right here, hey, if, if you're unclear who you're actually working for, you're working as to the Lord. But it's not just employee, employees, it's employers. Look at verse nine. Masters do the same to them and stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality in him. What Paul is saying is, hey, wherever you are in, your, in the corporate ladder right now, like the, your boss is the same. If you're an employer, right, your boss is God. If you're an employee, your boss is God. Some of you are both an employee and an employer. You're all working for the same person, and that is God Almighty. Um, growing up in my tradition, and I wonder if yours was the same, on the card, you could actually check that you have a call to full-time Christian service. And I just want to say, like, I think, I think that may have done some harm to the way that we view our jobs. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, and we've said this before, if you're a follower of Jesus, who's not called to full-time Christian service? 
all of us are called to full-time Christian service. And I think that mindset has done a lot of harm and is the reason why my best friend was stuck in this sort of like, how can I possibly be in a God-honoring job when I'm trying to make money? There's a pastor that um, a lot of us really look up to and um, has had an incredible impact of thousands of people around the world named Louis Giglio. And um, some of you know Louis. Louis loves to speak to college students. And this was about 15 years ago. He was doing a talk on vocation and calling that went uh, viral. And in the talk, he was talking to thousands of college students and he's like, he basically said, hey, listen guys, some of you tonight are gonna be called to become missionaries. Like you're gonna, you're going, you're gonna like give it all up and you're gonna go live in a hut in Africa and that's gonna be amazing. Others of you are gonna feel called to ministry and you're gonna tweak the school that you're in right now and you're gonna go to seminary and you're gonna become pastors and church planters. But he goes, and then there's somebody right now and you're worshiping and you're singing and you're confused because right now you're thinking, man, all I wanna do is I just really, really, really wanna be a designer of designer jeans. <laughs> they were like, what, what, Louis? Yeah, I just, I just want my own fashion line. Like, um, you're thinking in your heart, like this person's gonna go reach, you know, the unreached people in the world. This person's going to seminary. I have a passion for designer jeans. And, and he goes, think about it. Like somebody has to make them, somebody has to sell them. And Louis says, in fact, some of you like right now, like if you're gonna be honest, you stay up at night because you just can't like get designer jeans out of your brain and you're sketching designer jeans on a sheet of paper and you're, and you're asking like, how in the world does this connect? And, and Louis says, I promise, he goes, somebody here right now, your heart is racing because you're like, how in the world did he know that I like designer jeans? And when, when, when Louis said that, I'm like, yeah, I don't think that's happening. Like, I don't think there's anybody, I don't think there's anybody in the audience right there that's like, yes, designer jeans, that, that's for me. So true story. I, I promise this is not one of those stories that preachers make up for a point. Like three or four years later, I'm living in New Jersey and I'm going into New York City for a meeting. Sometimes I take the bus instead of the train because it was cheaper. So I hop on the bus and I see an old buddy of mine named Isaiah. Um, Isaiah was a hip-hop artist, a Christian hip-hop artist. He was a poet. He was a worship leader that our church had hired before. Just like a really, really cool guy. And so it had been over a year since I had seen him before. And um, I remember going, man, Isaiah, like, how have you been? Like, I haven't seen you. Like, are you recording like your next Christian hip-hop album? And he kind of looked a little bit like down. And he's like, well, he goes, I, I got to be honest, man. Like, he goes, this is like, I've kind of lost my way and I'm trying to figure that out. He goes, but this is like really, really weird because like I've just got this idea in my head and it's not spiritual. It's not like leading worship or anything like that, but I just can't seem to get it out of my mind. And I'm like, um, okay, Isaiah, like what is it? You know what he said? I just want to design my own jeans. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? <laughs> he goes, yeah. And then, and then he begins to describe, he's like, yeah, it's like been so clear, like in my head. He goes, I, I can picture the store in Manhattan. He goes, you walk in and there are trees in the store and there are limbs and hanging from the limbs are my designer jeans, like all over the store. And I was like, Isaiah, like, 
have you ever heard Louis Giglio's message called Passion, Purpose, and Designer Genes? And he goes, who's Louis Giglio? And I'm like, oh man, do I have a message for you? So I gave, I gave him that message, which was incredibly, like incredibly confirming to him because the whole point of this message, and it's the point of, that I want to drive home this morning for us here, is your work is sacred. My work is sacred. Yes, even, even designing jeans, if that's your thing. If driving for Uber and do, delivering Uber Eats is your thing, it's sacred. Teachers, doctors, lawyers, mechanics, truck drivers, construction workers, military. Your job is sacred because we're all working as unto the Lord. Some of us in this room, somebody needs to hear this. You still think of it as a hierarchy that like sort of top tier, super Christian pastors, missionaries, church planters. And then you think, oh, there's a second tier, the people that, you know, nurses and firefighters, people that serve the community, that's sort of second tier. And then there's sort of everything else below. And I just want to tell you, that is not the picture that we have in scripture. In fact, I think one of the things that has been a problem in our country is that anytime there's a stream in the secular world, what, I'll give you an example, Hollywood, right? Instead of just having Christians in Hollywood, we'll, we'll create an alternative stream of like Christian Hollywood. And we do this over and over again. And the problem with that is that's not the picture that scripture gives us of the church. I've got like a diagram that kind of explains this a little bit more. You can almost look at it like this. We tend to think of like silos, like we have the church silo on the right, then business and art and government and sports and schools. And you can add health and military, whatever you want to add, you can add all these silos. And we think that our goal is like, hey, we're in the church silo. And then the goal is to get everyone, we're going to go out into these areas, we're going to share the gospel, and then we're going to bring them into church. And what happens? What happens is some of these people accept Christ and they become like super Christians, whatever that means, right? Like, oh my goodness, look, they're, they're amazing. And so what do we do? Our instinct is like, okay, we got to, let's pull them out and let's see, maybe, maybe we're going to call them into paid professional ministry to get them in the church. Because we have this mindset of this hierarchy of like up here and here and here. Here's the problem with that mindset. When we do that, when we're pulling people, when we're pulling a doctor out of the medical field, we're pulling a pointer of Christ out of the field and bringing them into the light. Think about that. If, if you're in a room and you're like, want to save electricity and you're leaving the room, and you tell the last person, what do, you, what do you tell them? Do you say, hey, like, before you go, turn on the darkness? Did not make any sense? No, you tell them, turn off the light. You know what I think we're doing? When we pull our best people out of these different fields, we're, we're, we're turning off the light. And we're putting light in light instead of the biblical picture, which is this. You are the church. If you've trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, like you're a teacher for the glory of God. You're a nurse, you're a doctor, you're a construction worker, you're a bus driver for the glory of God. And you get to now be light in darkness. We need you right where God has placed you. There is no sacred versus secular divide. Paul says in Colossians, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God, the Father through him.
That's in Colossians 3.17. So be encouraged. Work in a way that is unto the Lord because it is. Finally, number three is this. At the end of the day, Christians should be the hardest working people in their fields. Look again at verses five and six. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ. Another word here for, for sincere is single. In other words, you're not duplicitous. That means when you enter your job, you're doing it single-minded with a goal to work hard and unto the Lord. And then verse six, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers. The key here to working hard is, is as unto the Lord. Let me tell you what this does. When you work hard as unto the Lord, it does two things. We, last week we talked about how you can overparent and underparent. Um, this is similar, right? Because working hard as unto the Lord actually destroys overwork, which is a problem for some of, some of us in this room, if we're gonna be honest. When we overwork, it is usually because we have taken our vocation and our calling and we have made it our identity. And we say, man, unless I become the top in my field, unless I become the best at what I do, then I'm not really anybody. It reminds me of the great scholar and thinker, Rocky Balboa, who said this, nobody's ever gone the distance with creed. And if I can go that distance, you see, and that bell rings and I'm still standing, I'm gonna know for the first time in my life, see, that I weren't just another bum from the neighborhood. Some of you are working so hard because you don't wanna be a bum. And I just wanna tell you, your vocation, your calling, your job is important, but it's not your everything. It's not who you are, right? Your relationship is in Christ and you're free to work and to work hard, but it's not who you are. And remember, like what we get out of our job in verse eight, it, it shows us this, it's from the Lord. He says, knowing that whatever good anyone does, that this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. So it destroys overwork, but it also destroys laziness. Look at verse six, not by the way of eye service. That's a word that Paul probably just made up, which it actually makes a lot of sense as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. The NIV puts it a different way. Obey, obey them not to win their favor when their eye is on you. In other words, don't just serve them when people are watching. If you approach your job as like, my only goal is to work on the things that my boss cares about or that people see and nothing else really matters, that's just a form of laziness. And what we need to understand is if you do your work, but people aren't noticing, like who cares, right? Like it only matters what Christ, our ultimate boss thinks. He's, he's the one that's gonna be our boss millions of years from now we tend to focus on what only other people see and that bleeds into our work ethic. We wanna work hard as unto the Lord. And when we do that, check this out. When you work in a way that, 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 that doesn't just point to your boss, but points to the greater boss, when you work hard and diligently as a follower of Jesus, that points people to Jesus. Even if your job feels mundane, maybe especially if your job feels mundane, Six months before his assassination, Martin Luther King Jr. addressed some high school students that were graduating. And I love this quote. He says, if it falls to your lot to be a street sweeper, 
Sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures. Sweep streets like Beethoven composed music. Sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry. Sweep streets so well that all the host of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. You can bring the gospel by being diligent, by being a hard worker, by pointing people to Jesus because you're ultimately serving the Lord. Now, we have to be careful here. This does not mean that we compare ourselves to other people because when you compare yourself to other people, like some people are gonna be doing this and some people are gonna be doing this, you're not called to be another person. You're called to bring the gifts that God has given you and to take that and to steward it well and to say, I'm gonna bring everything I have with the gifts that God has given me and I'm gonna work hard as unto the Lord. Now let's just be, let's keep it real. Some of you have bosses and work for companies that you feel like, man, they, they deserve, I really like believe in my company, I believe in my boss, they deserve a good day's work. Others of you work for either bosses or companies where you say like, man, they don't, they don't really deserve my best. And I, what I wanna say to you is that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says we work as unto the Lord. What Paul is saying is that all work is actually God's work. And in doing that, we're gonna point people to Jesus. Lastly, I just wanna say this to the generations coming up right now. If you wanna stand out right now, it's not actually that hard. Like show up, like show up, be diligent, work hard, be flexible, submit to authority. I read this week that right now, three out of five companies are in our country right now are struggling to find employees. I'm not even talking about good employees. I mean, just employees in general. That's where our culture is right now. If you're coming up right now and you're coming out of high school, coming out of college and about to go into a job, like it doesn't take a lot to stand up and to show up and to be diligent and work in a way that points people to your ultimate boss. How do you do that? It's the same thing that we talked about last week. The only way that we can do that is with the right foundation. We look to Jesus. One of my favorite passages, and this is what I want to end with, Philippians 2. See if you see what's happening here, how Jesus himself is modeling submission. He said this, in your relationships with one another, whether it be wives and husbands and children and parents or servants and masters have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. There's that word again, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Folks, if you've trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, look, look at his example. Like he had all the power in the world. He is the boss of all bosses. And yet what does he do? do? He loved you so much that he modeled what perfect submission looks like to the point of death, death on a cross for our sins. Rose three days later and that changed everything. That is our foundation and to the degree that that makes it from here to here is the degree that we can go and we can submit to each other in everything that we do. 
Now we have a chance this morning to take a meal together. We call it the Lord's Supper. And this is a chance to get that message from here to here. I'm gonna invite um, our Lord's Supper communion folks to come on up to the table. And what I wanna say is that this meal, whether you realize it or not, some of you came to church and you had no idea that today was the Lord's Supper Sunday. I wanna tell you that this is the most important meal that you'll have all week because of who it points to. It's a chance to take and to remember Philippians 2, to remember that Jesus submitted it all. He gave it all for us on the cross. And we have open communion, which means that if you're a follower of Jesus, even if you don't go to this church, we invite you to the table to take this with us. If you've not trusted Jesus yet, we invite you to sit and to realize that the invitation is for you to accept the gospel, to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. We're gonna invite you to come up. We have a gluten-free in the back at any point in this next song. And I just want us, before you even take this morning, just take a moment and ask, ask God, like, God, like, the direction of my life, what, what, whether, whatever mistakes you've made, what does it look like to live in response to what Jesus has done for us, to give and to pour out ourselves, to work as unto the Lord this week for his name and for his glory. Let's pray. Father, you are so good. And we confess that we are prone to overwork. We are prone to underwork. We're prone to think it's about us. And so, Father, I pray for every person in this room that you would just instill in our hearts and remind us that our life, our entire life is worship. Our entire life is about pointing people to you. And we can do that because of what you've done for us. And so Father, today as we take communion together, would you remind us of the sacrifice that you made? And Father, may we never be the same as a result of that. You're a good God, a loving God. It's the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Come, come to the table. Let's take the Lord's Supper together today. Thank you for listening. We trust that God is stirring something special in your heart today. We hope to see you on Sunday very soon. Keep it real. Keep it Jesus.